All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 30, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 30. There's a couple new sign-up sheets out there. We've all, I guess, got sign-up sheets, right? Um, for desserts and for fruit for the Breaking Chains concert. We're providing the, the, the food and stuff for the, uh, for the workers and for the bands. And so if anybody wants to sign up and be a part of that and help... Uh, uh, bringing cookies or bars or something like that. Just sign up, let us know what you're going to be bringing, and then have them here by the 21st so that we can get that all prepared for the 22nd. So anyway, that sign-up sheet's back there. Um, also, the women's uh, luncheon's coming up. If you haven't signed up, please do. We need to get a head count for tables and all that and food, and, and then it uh, uh, should be a good, a good afternoon or good morning. I guess it's right in the middle there. This morning, as we hit chapter 30, um, God takes the children of Israel uh, to the place of prayer. Um, they weren't allowed to go necessarily on their own. Of course, you could always pray by yourself. But when it comes to intercession, when it comes for um, sins, you, you needed someone to pray for you. That's what the high priest would do. He would pray for the sins of the nation, for the sins of people. And, um, and this is the place of that prayer. He makes a location for that. It's a special place. You don't do anything else there but pray. That's what you do. Not allowed to do anything else there. It's that important to God. You know, We've got different rooms in our houses for specific purposes. We name them, right? Bedroom, dining room, living room, bathroom even, washroom. We have places that are designed for a specific purpose. We may do other things there once in a while, but for the most part, we need to and do use those rooms for their intended purpose. And God's no different. He wants us to have that place of prayer, not only in this uh, mock-up of heaven. Remember, that's what this is, this tabernacle and all the instruments and everything. He's trying to show the people on earth what it looks like in heaven, what's going on in heaven. So he gives them this little model here on earth that they could pack up and take with them. And wherever they go, they've got this little model of heaven where he said last week several times where God meets them. I meet you here. This is where I meet you. Well, this next place is the place of prayer, the altar of incense. In verse 1, he says, You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width, so 18 by 18. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. You shall... Make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both of its sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be the holders for the poles which to bear it, with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. This is that place of prayer. It's a, it's a little square box, about this high, about 36 inches tall. And last week we talked about, remember the, the blood they were putting on stuff? These are the horns he was talking about. You anoint these once a year with blood. Those are the horns on it. It's all overlaid with gold, and gold represents deity or represents heaven. That's how we know what this is about. The, whatever happens here goes to heaven is the idea. The mercy seat made of gold, that's where God sits and so on. We can see that. So I want you to make this. Now, 
it, for the picture's sake, you've got the holy of holy place, and then you've got this Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat, and then you've got your curtain, and then just on the other side is this altar of incense. There's only one other time in the Bible where they set it up and describe it as being on the other side of the curtain, and we don't know why necessarily. But for the most part, every other time they set this thing up, they put this on the other side because that's where the priest comes in. So you walk in the front door where the priest comes into the holy place. To the left is the menorah, the seven candle lamp stand right there. You got the showbread over here and you've got this altar of incense. Okay, that's the place of prayer. Maybe for reference, Zacharias, and that's where he got his vision of his wife being uh, pregnant. Um, with John the Baptist. He's in there offering up prayers and everything, and it's, it's a good time. They're, they're doing that, and, and then all of a sudden an angel shows up and starts talking to him and telling him about his wife being pregnant. So this is that place, okay? So they build this. He wants them to make this thing. It's got to be gold. It's got to be right there. It's got to be uh, carried by priests. It's got poles in it. You don't just hold it over your shoulder. Um, it's a neat thing. It's a very um, wonderful thing. Now, here's what I want you to do on it, he says. Aaron, high priest, shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So constantly, I want you to be sprinkling incense on this thing, morning and evening, just like the lamb sacrifices morning and evening, same thing with the incense. I want this smoke rising. You shall not, here's what you don't do. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. That put out the fire. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Very important to God. This place of prayer, this place of incense is very important to God. This is where I meet you. This is where we talk. We don't do anything else here at this place but talk. It's huge. This is our hotline to the Lord. This is how we converse and communicate and spend time with Him. Is at this place right here. You don't do it any other place. I mean, there's sacrifices being offered up. There's a brass lavier we're going to learn about. There's a lot of things going on here, but this is center, is prayer, this place of prayer. Now, they would put the incense on there, and he says no strange incense. What he means by that is later on he's going to describe there's a certain mixture that you use only for this moment, for this place. You have lots of incense. You can go in any store around here probably and buy a little pack of incense and burn it, you know, and whatever. It fills your whole house with, you know, the smell. It's, a, it's the 60s version of the scented candle, actually. But not here. Only... only one kind of incense can be burned here, and, it, and he says later on, we'll get into it, it can't be burnt anyplace else either. This one specific recipe, because it's not just one herb, it's several different things mixed together. This one recipe is just for here, just for now, just for me, okay? This place of prayer. This place of prayer represents what's going on in heaven. Now, John, the, John, uh, the not the Baptist, but John, the, the, the author of John, the Gospel, wrote the book of Revelation, he had a vision of heaven. He got to go up and see what was going up there. Not just the mock-up that we're reading about here, but the actual events. And he describes one of those events in Revelation 5.8. It 
He says this, Now, when he, Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp a golden bowl, and, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. He describes that. This is important. So what we're doing down here, what Aaron's been doing down here, is happening in heaven. John continues in Revelation chapter 8, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from that altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. And judgment of God happened at that point. A couple things here with prayer. As we can see here, they've been collecting up in heaven lots and lots of prayers of the saints, but they haven't been answered yet until this Revelation chapter 8. I just want to throw that out there to you. Many times people have prayed, Oh God, how much longer will you be before you bring down wrath on this earth and take us to heaven? When's this all going to end? All this sin, all this heartache, Satan's rule and reign here on earth. When will it end? And those prayers are gathered apparently until it's time. And then when it's time, boom, it's dumped and the prayers are burnt. And he takes that fire, those prayers, that answer, and he throws it to the earth and it begins just like what was asked. We have to be careful and keep this in our minds. Prayers aren't answered immediately a lot of times. Zacharias is a great example. Praying for a baby for who knows how long and not till they're so old that they can't have babies anymore does God answer their prayer and say, okay, now it's time, Zacharias. Timing is everything with God. We learned that last Wednesday. God's all about timing. You have to be led of the Spirit and so on. So that's what our prayers are. We offer them up but we have to be careful that we don't have expectations when we offer them. I expect them to be answered, for sure. But I don't have the expectation of when, where, or how he's going to answer those things. Am I prepared for a no? Am I prepared for a wait or not yet? That's, that's not why I pray, to be honest with you, most of the time. My prayer is, hey, I just want to let you know because I think you're not paying attention. I need this. See you tomorrow. And I kind of expect it. That. I don't ever say it that way. It's much more holy. But that's kind of how I feel. And I look and I'm waiting. I'm like, I don't know. You know, I don't see the answer. When actually he has given me answers, he says, no, no. I mean, it can be as simple as that. Sometimes he doesn't give me an explanation, you know. No, J.D., because this is why I'm not doing this for you. He doesn't do that for me. He just says, "Uh, no. And he can. And it corrects me. And I like that, you know. It corrects me. My kids get in the habit sometimes because I'm a... Um, I can be loose with the wallet sometimes with my kids. I think we all can at times. And there's these days when I'm like, yeah. And they ask me now on Saturdays, is today yesterday? <laughs> it's kind of a joke. It's a running gag. It's today yesterday because everything's yes. Sometimes I wake up on a Saturday morning and I'm like, yes, today is yesterday. 
We're going to the park? Yes, we're going to the park. Are we going to Walmart? Yeah. Can I get a toy? Yes. It's yes day. But the problem is they get used to yes day because some days Saturdays I wake up and I look at the bank account and it's a no day. You know, it, no, no, it's a, it's a KCP&L day today. You know, it's a we need lights and food day. And they get a little disappointed, you know, because they don't understand. Dad, is today yes day? It's not yes day. It's, it's yes to park day. That's free. But it's not yes to Walmart get a toy day, you know. And that's how I come to God sometimes, just as one of my little kids. I get excited because of all the blessings he's given me and bestows on me, sometimes when I don't even ask. And I show up and I just ex- kind of expect it, you know. You're a good God. So... It's yesterday, and it's not all the time. We've got to come prepared with a humble heart ready to receive whatever answer he gives us. I made light of it. Obviously, we have much more serious prayers, much, more, uh, much deeper concerns than some of the silly things I pray for sometimes. But sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait. And, uh, and I need to accept that and be gl- grateful for it. I'm glad he says no to me. I'm glad he said wait, because now isn't the time. Now wouldn't have worked. Now would have been bad for me, would have been bad for somebody else. And so I want to accept that. There's several things that can hinder our prayers too, the Bible says. Six, actually. Six things can hinder our prayers from being heard, from being answered. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive. Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. My motivation, um, my vanity, um, talking about myself, asking for myself, that can. I'm not saying, that, and he's not saying, that you don't ask for things for yourself, but does it benefit everybody? Is it for everybody or is it, is it for somebody else is the idea. Proverbs 28.9, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law. Even his prayer is an abomination. You can reject God's word, but don't expect your prayers to be answered. It's interesting how many unbelievers expect God to answer their prayer in time of need, but they reject him the rest of their life. He will if he chooses, because he blesses the just and the unjust alike. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. He can do that, but that's at his will. He's not obligated to answer our prayers. In fact, they're an abomination to him when we reject his law. Sometimes we get ourselves into trouble because we've broken his law, and then we ask him, oh, dear God, help us get out of this problem. And he may, but he's not obligated to. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is feel the weight on our shoulders of our decision, of our choice, to reject his law. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. So there's some things you've got to do beforehand. I think that's what chapter uh, 30, verse 9 is really talking about in Exodus. He goes, I don't want you offering up strange incense, burnt offerings, grain offerings, nor shall you pour drink offerings on it. What are those things for? Those are the sin offerings that were supposed to be done outside before you even walked in this room. First, you've got to go make your sin offering. Then you go get washed in the brass laver. Then you come into the holy place and offer up your prayers in that order. And so we've got some things that can hinder us. And Mark chapter 11, verse 25 is one of those things. Make sure you've got your heart right with other people. 
verse uh, uh, 7 of 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Husbands likewise dwell with them, speaking of the wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. They can get in the way. They can get hindered when you haven't been treating your wife right, when you haven't considered her, taken care of her, looked at her. She's not a roommate. She's not your buddy. She's not your partner. She is. She is. Don't get me wrong. Talk about pulling their weight. Man. But she's also to be taken care of. My wife was reading a book to my daughter this morning while I was laying on the carpet, my face in a pillow because I was done studying and everything was ready and everything. I was just waiting for, I was waiting for Evangeline actually. And she was reading this wonderful book. Um, what is the name of that book where the boy builds the wall and the girl plants the garden? Oh, come on now, really? Well, it's that book. I don't know the name of it. Second service will know, first service won't, because I asked my wife what it was. It was a wonderful story about this girl who wants to build, as a little girl, I want to make a garden for my husband. And this boy that she's friends with says, well, that's dumb. And she goes, well, that's fine, you don't have to like it, but would you help me build a wall around this garden? And they just go through this wonderful story about how this little boy builds a wall and they grow up together making this garden and figure out, oh, it's for each other. And it's a wonderful thing. Got to consider your wives. It can hinder your prayers sometimes. She can't be in the other room broken and weeping from something you've said or done and expect God to answer your prayers. God, I don't know what's her problem over there, but hear my prayer. Mm. God says, I think you need to go to the other room before you come into this room. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The idea of regard iniquity is probably a much more, if I love iniquity in my heart, if I've gotten comfortable with iniquity in my heart, if I'm not just forgotten to repent, that's not what he's talking about. This is I regard it. Like you regard somebody. Hey, regards. You know, hey, I like you, I'm friends with you, you're my buddy, I've been thinking about you. If that kind of iniquity is in your heart, I won't hear you. I want you to get those things right. It's, it's not okay. He's not a permissive God. James chapter 1, verse 57, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And it goes on to say then, and he who asks with doubting, basically, don't expect to receive anything. If you're not sure God has the wisdom for you, but you want to ask him, don't you get frustrated with that sometimes when people do that to you? Hey, I'm having a tough call here. I don't know what to do. Should I buy this or should I buy that? Well, if I were you, I'd buy this. Okay, that it is. I mean, you didn't even pause, you know. Why'd you ask? You obviously didn't think I had wisdom, or you think the opposite of my choice is the best choice, you know. And I think sometimes we can come to God that way. God, if you want me to do this, you know, I do. Fine, I won't go, you know, kind of thing. And he's like, you're, you're asking with doubting. Don't expect you to receive anything. These things can hinder our prayers. Sacrifice first. Make sure your sins are fessed up before the Lord, that you're right with those around you. Before you come to God with your petitions, make sure that you've got things right horizontally. Very important. Now, 
if you need help with things going you know horizontally you do need to have that vertical conversation so that these things can go right but as a humble broken person make sure that's how you come into this place of prayer humble and broken before them god i don't know how to get my wife to stop crying in the next room i've tried i've done it i've apologized i don't know what to do i need your help that prayer he'll hear you understand but we have to make sure we're paying attention to this stuff. So this place of prayer, very important. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that the, they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. And He gave the Lord's Prayer or our prayer as an example. Not to be repeated, although it's a great prayer to memorize. So, you know, if you don't know what to pray, you bet we've got one that's kind of laid out for us. It's a good example for us, but... He wants us to pray that way. Converse, don't chant. Converse, don't repeat over and over again because I already know what you want. It's not like I can't hear you. Twelve times doesn't make it any more powerful than one time. Don't chant, repeat, do all that stuff. Be careful about that. I don't want that. I don't want that at our place of prayer. It's not the kind of conversation I want to have. You wouldn't do that to your wife at the dinner table or your husband at the dinner table. How was your day at work? How was your day at work? How was your day at work? I mean, it's just dumb. It doesn't even make sense. The guy looking at you going, you know, what's wrong with you? No, not to your wife. To, to your, you could do that to your husband maybe. That came out really bad. Let's rewind that and try that again. So, thank you. Moving on. Vain repetition doesn't help. Doesn't help. Talk to him like you'd talk to him, you know. Like you talk to a person, because he is. I mean, he is. He's your father in heaven. He's your savior. He's your friend. He is your king. I mean, with all due respect to the king, you know, speak to him that way, of course. But talk to him, you know, is the idea. First Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's how we pray. All right, now, to the ransom money. Verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a census of the children take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. Then um, when I'm sorry, uh, when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. All right, let me read that again, because that's kind of broken up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make an atonement for yourselves, 
And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Okay, they weren't allowed to number them. Count off, one, two, three, four. They weren't allowed to do that. But anybody 20 years and older would bring a half shekel in and they could count the shekel. That's the idea. Now, it seems like a loophole. If you were a lawyer, you'd say, I can't count the people, but I could each have them bring something, and then I'll count it. No, this is God's idea, and there's a reason behind it. David gets in trouble in 2 Samuel 24, the whole chapter, 1 through 25, because he numbers the people. It says right here, God says you can take a census, but here's how it has to be done. They bring a shekel to the temple. You can count the money. The idea behind that is God owns them. You don't own them. That's the difference. David wanted to count how strong his army was. Not God's army. How strong is my army? One, two, three. That's not your army, David. That's my army. The second thing we see here with the shekel, it means that you belong to the Lord. You willingly bring your shekel. I want to be a part of this. This is my count. I'm yours. Anybody that didn't bring a shekel was not counted. And you could choose not to do that, but you weren't counted among the people. You were not a part of that group anymore. Redemption, very important. As Christ has paid for our sins, he is our redeemer. He's our shekel, so to speak. Equally applied to everybody. No rich man gets in easier. No poor man gets in harder to heaven. Equally need the blood of Jesus Christ to get in. He is our redemption. And with that redemption, we get into heaven. That's how we're counted. Does that make sense? I can't count the people. You can't count the people. Only God gets to count the people. And he counts them by those who are his. And those who are his have received his son as their Lord and Savior. Okay, very important. There's a very good picture here for us. Side note, not very important, but 20 years and older. I'm hoping that's the age of accountability. You'll see that 37 times in the Old Testament. The people that died in the wilderness because they were disobedient to God were all 20 years or older. So all the way up to 19, wouldn't that be nice for those of us who, you know, if you've got a kid maybe that's wayward or something, you're not sure where they're headed or not, you've got till 19. They're going to slip in, you know, right now. But at 20, they're accountable. That's not a doctrine. That's not a fact. And that's not biblical doctrine, okay? I just want you to understand that. It's just an interesting thought, okay? Um, more than likely the age of accountability is when there is understanding from the child, whatever age, that they've sinned, that they need a redeemer, because some people get saved at six, seven, five years old, seven, who knows, you know, they can get saved any time. So they're accountable. So, but I notice that God doesn't charge anybody 19 or younger with these sins. Interesting, you know. Um, just a that's a, like a tiny little thing, uh, nothing to hold on to or, or, or grab. Now, the bronze labor, or bronze labor, excuse me. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a labor of bronze. This is like a bathtub. This is the big bathtub outside. He's kind of going backwards. We did, the, we did the altar for the sacrifices. Now we did the, it, we're inside with there. Now we're back outside with the brass labor where they get, where they get washed. You shall also make a labor of bronze, with its base also of bronze, for washing. 
You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. So you've got your big altar where you offer up sacrifices, all the cows and all the burns, burning things. Then you've got the brass laver. Then you've got the tabernacle. Okay, And you shall put, it, put the water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generation. So this is a pretty important piece of gear. You offer up your sacrifices. You go over, you wash your hands and your feet. Now, that should remind us of what Jesus said when you know, Jesus says, I've got I've to wash, wash your feet. He goes, not going to wash my feet, says Peter. He says, I've got to wash your feet, Peter, otherwise you're, you're, not, you're not with me. He goes, then wash my whole body. He goes, no, 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 Peter. You've already been washed. We just need to wash your feet. So daily they would get their feet washed and their hands washed. But there was that one-time baptism. Remember that water they did to put on the garments we talked about? Before they put the garments on, they had to get all the way in. Then after that, it's just hands and feet, just hands and feet, which is a super great picture of what God's done for us. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. We've been baptized. We've been baptized with the Lord. His righteousness has been imputed to us. We've been cleansed completely. Now, we do need to come once in a while, don't we, to get our hands and feet washed by the Lord. We come and get right with God. You know, we come before Him and say, you know, God, I got my hands dirty this week. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I, you know, there's repentance that needs to take place. There's maintenance, basically, that goes on. Not to maintain your salvation, don't misunderstand me, but to maintain that clean heart with God. We want to lift up clean hands to the Lord when we praise God. Clean hands. So there's some things we've got to do, you know. You've got to come to Him in that prayer uh, in prayer life and, and have that time with him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. How do we get clean? We get clean by the word of God. Right here this morning, we're getting cleaned. Hands and feet, probably. Some of you may be getting your bath. Who knows? I don't know if you're getting saved this morning or not. I don't know. But it's very possible. But here's how it comes. It comes by God's Word. That's how we get changed from the inside out is by God's Word. Gifts of the Spirit are fantastic. They're wonderful. Tongues, miracles, signs, wonders, all these things. Gifts of administration, they're all wonderful things, but they don't save people. They're done by saved people. Salvation comes from the Word of God. That's where it comes from. Cleansing comes by the Word of God. That's how we get clean. And so he says that. I want, you to, I want you to do this. For your wives, like Christ does for the church, cleanses her with the washing of water by the word, that he, Jesus, might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. God does accept us where we are. He does accept us. Understand that. He doesn't want to leave us there, though. He's never called us to just sit back and say, this is as far as I need to go with holiness. <laughs> There's no such thing. We're, we're not holy or we are holy. And we move towards that goal of being holy, which is perfect. Now, we've been given the righteousness of Christ. We are holy in God's eyes, but we do things and we want to stop doing things so that one day when we get to heaven, 
just an obedient kid. That's what it means. I want to be an obedient kid. And when I'm not an obedient kid, I want to own up to it. I want to talk to God about it. I want to let him know, I know I wasn't obedient. Nothing more pleasing to a dad or a mom than to hear their kid voluntarily come up to them and say, you don't know what happened, but I'm going to tell you what happened, and I shouldn't have done it, and I know I should have done it, and I've got to tell you about this. You know, wow. I was going to ground you. If, I'd, if you'd found out, if I had found out before you came and told me, it's a whole different story, isn't it? But they come up and tell you about this stuff. It's like, you get a hug instead. It's yesterday at Walmart. I, I'm kidding. I mean, it's a big deal. Parents love that. My goodness, conscience is engaged. This is great. Their conscience is engaged. The Holy Spirit is convicting. They have a relationship with God. He's in their life. Like I've been saying in my emails, mic drop. I mean, wow. That's it as far as a parent goes. You don't have to do anything because you know they're, it doesn't matter where they are in the whole world. You don't have to be their conscience anymore. You don't have to be the Holy Spirit in their life anymore. You don't have to bring conviction or punishment or wrath or judgment in their lives. They've got it. It's such a wonderful thing. So there's some maintenance that God loves to hear from us. Hey, God, I want to come before you and ask you this. Now, Here's what it was made of. We won't find this out for eight more chapters, so this is a spoiler alert for chapter 38 of Exodus, verse 8. The laver, this bath, is made from something interesting. I like to make more of it than it probably is, but I think it's interesting. It says, He made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Remember all the stuff they took out of Egypt? Well, they had a bunch of bronze things that were polished, so highly polished, they could see their reflection in it like a mirror. And they sacrificed those and gave those up to the temple of the Lord so that this brass washing place could take place. I mean, there's a lot there. Giving up vanity, giving up looking at ourselves, giving up all the things that a mirror does for us, for us and change it, and bend it, and mold it, and hammer it into something that can be used of God, where we get washed, where the real cleansing takes place. I mean, it's good to take a quick look in the mirror before you head out the door, because you want to make sure something ain't, you know, wrong, because when you get to work, or you get to school, they'll tell you, won't they? Hey, you got a, you got a thing, you know, kind of whatever that is. Good to take a quick look, but boy, be careful about gazing longingly. You know, my, you know. <laughs> Only thing that happens from that is features get pronounced, as far as I'm concerned. You know, gee, that's big, you know. It's so big, you know. Best just make it and smash it into a bowl that you can wash yourself in, right, for the Lord. That's the best thing for mirrors. I like that. I think that's interesting. The ladies, and it probably wasn't just the ladies. There's a guy or two that take, you know, that wear hair product, those kind of guys. They got the bronze. I had to do a dig there. I'm not a hair product guy, obviously. Sorry, Thomas. They made this into this wonderful bath. Sacrifice, you know? Vanity goes away. Vanity is removed. Okay. Anointing oil. The anointing oil. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. You can see where we're headed with this. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying also, Take for yourselves quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, 
half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, or cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you're going to mix that all together. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them, and they shall and they may that they may be excuse me be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall be poured on ma- it shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. This stuff is special. It's made just for the sanctuary and those who serve in the sanctuary, these priests, these high priests. In other words, it's meant for heaven and it's meant for Jesus. Now, these guys represent Christ and this place represents heaven, so I want you to do this, but this is for them. This brings glory to them. When you smell that smell, it's that. It doesn't spark any other memory. You know how powerful our senses can be. You smell a, you smell a, a properly toasted piece of white bread. It has to be white, sorry. Boy, you walk in the room, you say, oh, it doesn't matter how gluten-free you've ever wanted to be. Something tells you you've got to have that piece of toast with it slathered with butter, real butter, no margarine, no. I'm kidding, but that smell, those things spark memories. When you smell this smell of this oil right here, I want you to think of the temple and I want you to think of Jesus. That's it. The Holy Spirit always brings glory to God. Never brings glory to man. This cannot be put on an outsider. This cannot be used for any other purpose. You can't even compound something like it. I don't want anybody to mistake the aroma of Christ with you. I want people, if they smell Christ on you, they think of Christ. That's the idea. It should always bring that to mind. The Holy Spirit only brings glory to God, never brings glory to men. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, James chapter 5 does give us the opportunity to lay hands on people, to anoint them with oil, that the prayer offered in faith might save the sick. It's not this compound. It's not this recipe. It's just plain olive oil that you put on somebody. So we do that. We do that. When we're asked, we come, we lay hands on you, we pray for you, we put anointing oil on you, and we pray. That kind of oil is different. That's like the shower kind of oil. They didn't have running water. They didn't take baths daily. They knew they were clean by the oil. They would pour this oil. When they pour oil, I mean, when they anointed, they anointed. Not like this little thing that we do when your hand, you know, like Jesus, when he was anointed with oil at the table by Mary Magdalene, when she broke that alabaster jar and poured that all over him, dripping down his beard. That's the picture. When you saw someone well-oiled, you knew they were healthy. They'd gotten up in the morning. They'd taken care of themselves. They're ready to go. That's why you do that for someone who's sick. We're praying that you might be healed and we're going through it as if you are. We are anointing you with oil. Now let's get up. That's why Jesus always told them that. You're healed. Now get up, take up your bed, and walk. 
Nobody knew if they were healed or yet. They just had to go on with their life like they were. And they'd get up, pick up their bed and say, you're right. You know, that's how they discovered it, by going on. That's that anointing oil. That's what that is. This compound that he's spoken of here in 22 um, is specifically for the Lord, specifically to represent the Holy Spirit, specifically to bring glory to God. All right, our final section. And the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, uh, staked. I mean, there's an E at the end, so I'm going to make it a long A, right? So staked um, and uh, ancha uh, and galbanum. Obviously, we don't have a lot of this stuff. Maybe you guys have seen this stuff before, but it's Mediterranean to me. I don't know. And pure frankincense, I know that one. With the sweet spices, with these sweet spices, there shall be an equal amount of each. You shall make uh, these in, uh, you shall make of these an incense, a compound, according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony of the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for incense, which you shall make, you can do that. You can have incense at home, but the stuff you make... That's fine, but don't offer it here and don't take this stuff home, is the idea. But, but as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. You don't get to put any of this in your pocket. This incense, this prayer... As you sprinkle it on the altar, it's meant to only be smelled in one instance, and that's when prayers are offered up to God. It's not meant as a potpourri to bring you glory. kind of goes along the lines of when you pray, go into your closet, go into your quiet place, don't do it in public. A little bit like that. When you're out there saying, oh God, you know, on, in the square of, of Maryville, you know, cause Maryville to repent, you know, look at me, you know, kind of thing. Uh, you may as well stuck some of this incense in your pocket, basically, is the idea. God's not pleased with that. Better yet, go into your basement, go into your attic, go into your quiet place in your house and quietly pray and lift up the concerns and cares of the people around you. Um, that's a blessing. And by the way, you don't pray to people. This incense, these prayers don't go to people. You pray to God. We have one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. You pray to Jesus only, or you pray to the Father, or you can even pray to the Holy Spirit. They know who you're talking about. But we don't pray to men, and we don't pray to women, okay? So these prayers are just for God, and that's where we close this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for explaining these things to us, just showing us the picture of heaven. Lord, if our prayers are hindered, um, even now, God, Thank you for showing us that our prayers are hindered. Thank you for showing us that there's some things that need to change, and we want to do that. So we come before you confessing that to you, and thank you for showing that to us through your word. It's washed us. It's cleansed us. Um, it's doing a work in us, and it's, it can only be done by your word, and we're so thankful for that. Now help us to go on with our prayer life. Help us to go on with um, bringing you glory in our lives, serving you wholeheartedly, um, wholly unto you, God. Um, by not letting our prayers get answered, by, by taking heed to those things we can uh, get right here on earth before we come in, that we'd offer the sacrifices first, that we get washed first, and that we come to prayer after those things have been taken care of, God. That's our heart. We do want to have our prayers heard. We do want to pray according to your will. 
And we do want to walk this walk, Lord, and not pretend, Lord. So thank you for this morning, and thank you for this chapter 30. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.